Hi, welcome to the ESI What's Next podcast. I'm your host, Alex Feldman, and I'm taking you on a journey to learn about the exciting student entrepreneurs coming out of the ESI program. In the final part of our series, Helping Doctors Help Patients, we are sitting down with Emil Sundakov, CTO, founder of Longenesis, to reflect on the first three parts of this series and see how these lessons can be felt throughout society. Ultimately, every technological industry will have to interact with the public and the market at large if it wants to make a lasting change. What will help digital health do that? Hi, Emil. Thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Um, Before we get started, can you let the audience know a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I appreciate it, Alex. Thanks a lot for the introduction. Happy to be here. So, uh, yeah, my name is Emil Sundikov. I would like, you know, if I, w- if I were to tell about myself in a couple of sentences, I'm a computer scientist uh, devoting my uh, skills and knowledge uh, ever, up- you know, always updating the knowledge uh, basis uh, towards uh, problem solving in healthcare and education. So I wear several hats. I will be uh, telling a little bit more about later on, but these are, you know, um, for the last eight years, I worked within uh, applied research and with institutes, with uh, academics and uh, healthcare uh, institutions, as well as, uh, you know, I'm as a, as a CTO and co-founder of Longenesis, um, which is the, the largest digital health player uh, startup uh, here in the region, working on a clinical research and data-driven decision-making. So we'll be happy to elaborate from this perspective as well. Yeah, happy to be here. Awesome. Can can you just give us a little bit about? I guess there's sort of two things. One is is what sparked your interest in becoming kind of a, a computer programmer, computer scientist, and then furthermore than that, I mean, basically that could be applied to almost any industry in the world now, especially as we get more and more digital. Why did you choose to specifically focus on on working on kind of the healthcare industry and and, and these types of things? Yeah, it's all right. So you know, I've started my journey back in. Uh, uh, 11 years ago, I was applying you know, for a medical school in Germany, and then I came back here to, to, to Latvia, and then I thought, hey, what should I do? I passed the exams there, and uh, whether to take a gap year or whether to choose you know, any other uh, challenge in my life. And uh, computer science seems, as you, as you correctly mentioned, I, I like to call it as a 21st century screwdriver, not to screw the things up, but basically to build the things uh, we can use in our daily life. And um, I chose this you know, from perspective of this unique toolkit that I can apply everywhere. And healthcare actually uh, hit in my heart uh, back in 2012, when uh, I as uh, was you know doing sports semi-professionally, and then I had several injuries, I, I got uh, back to the rehab after the surgery. So I needed to monitor my rehab uh, routine, not to over you know overdo the stuff, or you know not to do this less than it was expected. So I was lying in the bed, and uh, my knees were hurting. So I thought, hey. I, I got the routine with the limitations, so I, I just bought a couple of sensors and uh, soldered it and programmed and made it and made an app for for myself, which became as a part of you know my bachelor thesis. And then for sure, I met one of the scientific advisors, Professor Silavo from. He came back from U.S. and started teaching here in Latvia, and this gave me you know like a kickstart uh, towards. Uh, looking in my skill set as uh, as the screwdriver, so sort of uh, in healthcare domain, yeah. What do you sort of think, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I, I like how you you use the, the metaphor of a screwdriver. And let's say almost what does this screwdriver or toolkit allow you to unlock within the healthcare space? Uh-huh. Sure. So 
any you know any interaction we we do in every industry uh, leaves uh, certain you know um, marks, and this uh, this is a uh, data points in 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 the perspective of you know computer scientists or data specialist, and the same thing applies to healthcare where we have a patient journey where basically we as a healthy individuals we start off you know with a prevention and screening then diagnostics, uh, you know, treatments, monitoring, rehabilitation, et cetera, et cetera. And within all of this uh, stops or, you know, uh, phases of the patient journey, we have data there. And basically it helps us to unlock this hidden value of data, very high level term, as I mentioned. So, but with this in mind, we can generate uh, insights for all of the stakeholders engaged, and this uh, we will be talking about the previous podcast episodes about you know healthcare uh, institution management, then doctor and patient dialogue based on data, also uh, regulators or public health institutions. So all of the stakeholders can get something out of this data being unlocked or opened. And I think this is the this is the major thing that we can put there. And for sure, there are several other things you know that we can empower. Once again, very high term, but I will try to elaborate on some of us with some of the examples afterwards. We can empower all of the stakeholders there to feel more confident, to feel more personalized, which is also a thing to you know to to um, to elaborate and to ease the process of treatment to diagnostics. And basically, but yeah, but the core is unlocking or opening up this data boxes within all of the stops of patient journey. Is it right to sort of assume? I, I feel like one of the issues. Let's say more historically that that's being at least helped by kind of the the uh, IT revolution is that let's say historically there's been just let's call it an avalanche of data that healthcare professionals would have to deal with, and let's say before the IT revolution there was almost no real way for them to approach these huge amounts of data that they have to deal with on a day to day basis, and now at least they have let's say some tools to help them manage you know, these, these huge amounts of data that they're dealing with all the time between, let's say, the various um, equipment that they have, uh, self-assessments, um, you know, what's happening day to day within, 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 let's say, hospital, you know, there's just a huge amount of, of, of data points that are in, in, the, in the industry that, yeah, until recently, I don't know, they, I guess, to some extent, they just have to do the best they could and then mm -hmm. without being overwhelmed by, because you could almost, you could almost do this indefinitely, right? It, it, it's kind of a, Sure. That's an avalanche yeah, yeah, <laughs> of, yeah. of data points. Yeah. And you're totally right. And actually, you know, uh, I would sound a little bit controversial, I think, but, but still, you know, once the digital, let's call it digital revolution, let's be very high level today. Uh, once the digital revolution happened, we, we've got tons of different IT systems, uh, solutions, how to transfer, store, generate, uh, or analyze data. We still have th this as one of the problems. We still have uh, let's start from from uh, from a lack of data. So one of the challenges is lack of data. Still, even if we have you know tons of different solutions, uh, the problem is especially you know if we're speaking about outpatient or when patients are not in a hospital, when we can put them in the bed and attach dozens of different you know solutions and get the data. Uh, when patients is outside of the hospital, it's a black box. And the lack of data for sure, IT systems and digital solutions are aiming you know as uh, like tech savvy guys are aiming towards you know hey let's introduce the new mobile app sensor whatsoever there is to engage patient collect data the more data there is the better it is it, it sounds it sounds uh, correctly from one perspective can, can i but, ask yeah can please. i ask just to touch on that yeah 
what let's say because i think this really touches into and, and this is a little bit of, of more of a tech thing right which basically mm -hmm. says you can't change what you can't measure basically or you you can't you can yeah what you can't measure you can't change or you can only change what you can measure mm -hmm. what let's say specific things or specific healthcare related things are let's say not being measured right now besides you're saying outpatient but like can you give some examples of that or, or unlock it like for specifics that are like oh if we could be measuring this better then we would probably be able to have better outcomes or, or, or there, I, don't, I just want you to do more specifics on this oh yeah sure let let let, let, let me try to slice it through several uh, several stages of patient journey. So let's start with the public health, which is prevention and screening, am I right? So basically there, the patient is not in a hospital, he's not diagnosed. And each one of us have certain risk factors that might affect the probability or might affect you know the way how we should treat ourselves from a you know, lifestyle or healthcare perspective. And with this in mind, basically the current, uh, the only mechanism that we have is uh, screening campaigns, like as an oncologist as an example. So basically starting age of 50 is an example, like in Boldex, uh, ladies are invited for um, breast cancer screening or, you know, any other screening campaign that is being covered uh, by, by the government. But beforehand, it's once again a black box. And without engaging these individuals and understanding, you know, their family history, uh, lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera, that might affect more or even, you know, less towards the breast cancer, as an example, or basically lifestyle and quality of life, we can gather this data through digital tools. One of the examples like, that was launched in Latvia is screenings.lv, which uh, that gathered more than 10,000 ladies in talking about, hey, uh, you, have, you have had a certain uh, family history of breast cancer, which is one of the risk factors there, but their GP have never, has never talked with them about this issue. So he has never raised a question about, you know what, it's better for you to go, you know, at age of 40 to, to start examining yourself. And without this data, as you mentioned, as you mentioned before, if you're not measuring it, you cannot change it. You cannot raise the awareness. So this is the first step. The second, for sure, you know, is uh, within diagnostic, it's being broadly mentioned, you know, the, the more data that we have there, and I will be controversial afterwards, uh, the more data we have there, the better it is to personalize the diagnostic and understand it even better. So one of the example, you know, if you go to the hospital and you've been brought there or you, you came there by yourself, you have also, you know, retrospective data, your history about, you know, certain comorbidities, your certain, you know, uh, medication history, et cetera, et cetera. If you have this data being collected through registry or even mobile apps, some sort of a digitized solution that can structure the data in one or multiple screens, it it eases the process of personalization. And the last, I will just put it there, rehab, everyone knows about, you know, telehealth solutions, gamification and rehab. So there are, you can attach different sensors and follow the routine and be, you know, gamified and engaged. But for the treatments example, uh, monitoring the adherence rate is quite important. So it means that, you know, the patient follows the procedure. And as an example, um, as an example of uh, diabetic care, as an example, we 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 made a uh, couple of clinical studies uh, for the last two years in 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 endocrinology, and the thing is that there were like a six month period when person is not visiting the doctor, six or four month period, basically quite long, and there are certain factors that might might raise the uh, the risk about lowering the effectiveness efficacy of certain therapy being prescribed, and it's very important to catch this moment. So if you catch it and timely you change it, you you help you help the patient to, to you know to lead a more healthy and more productive, effective life as such. So yeah, such such things can you know assist 
And this is very important, assist, not, you know, not strike out the healthcare professional for sure. So it's assistive, assistive systems. But, but to, to jump into this controversial part, we, we spoke about, you know, the more data there is, the better it is. But there is another challenge, which is called oversaturation with data or this avalanches. And avalanches happened, you know, without digital solutions, because as you mentioned before, if there is no system, imagine, you know, we have a pile of papers and it's not possible to be Sherlock Holmes within, you know, 20 minutes all the time. But with the digital solutions, and that's actually also one of the challenge that I think not all of the tech savvy guys understand from companies, you know, because myself as a computer scientist, I think, you know, the more data points I gather, the better it is, <laughs> the more insights I can, I can generate, the better I can train the models, et cetera, et cetera. But it brings the challenge for healthcare professional who has very limited time slot to examine, to follow, to understand the picture within the, the certain digitalization level. Uh, he cannot go through tens of thousands of data points. The thing she, she should have is, you know, assisting his uh, workflow, having, you know, just one glance towards some dashboard or, you know, screen and understanding, okay, so this guy, Bob, who came to me has certain, you know, risk factors or has certain challenges with, I don't know, uh, following the medication routine as an example, and then I can address. So this is like, you know, like a, like a personal assistant in that, in that case. And a lot of solutions are not following this, you know, UX practice, user experience practice and stating, you know what, let me put all of the diaries of the patient towards one screen. So there's a huge CSV or maybe less structured, uh, dashboard. And then doctor says, come on guys. I don't have time. Like I don't have time even to f to filling the papers that were were asked by the hospital. Why would I have time? You know, to have another screen there with tons of different activities. So this is the second thing, which is the challenge. And the third one, for sure, which we will be speaking about, is raising dialogue from one of the podcasts that Mary uh, was um, was also speaking about. Is is not technological actually. It's basically changing the mindset a little bit. So it's not you know not being afraid of tech and for sure, which is also quite hard is understanding that tech is not there to solve the problems. You, tech is there to assist the business processes, the business flows. As I've seen many times within the healthcare institutions that they say, oh, let's just buy IT solution to solve the problem. No, you should, you know, you should, you should basically make a flow which works and then you assist this flow with digital solutions. So imagine there is no electricity in the whole town. So, and and you, you should somehow still, you know, follow the flow. And this is just helping us out, not, you know, not solving everything. And the, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think I want to touch on one thing before we kind of jump into the, the previous episodes. Sure. Um, and I think it's probably a good way to close out, or it's kind of two things kind of related to each other. Sure. Good way to kind of close out what we just discussed. Um, on one side, I, I've been hearing, which I think is quite interesting. And I, I don't know if this is still accurate, but I read something probably a year, year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And in what you're saying on the data side is I think something along the lines of in the medical space, the amount of research is doubling something like every six months. Is, is that doctors have to, to try to be up, up on top of kind of the, the newest medical findings and then research. Uh, the amount of data that they're seeing is, is doubling every six months. Which, which basically make, make, means that like for a GP as a practitioner, there's just an avalanche of new scientific discoveries on the health side that there's almost, it's almost impossible for them to keep up with because it's literally doubling every six months. So it's like every six months they have to 
kind of sort through double the amount of data than they had to sort through before. Um, and I think one thing that's kind of interesting, and I think this is kind of the last point that comes out of that, and that's just saying is, is that I think one of the interesting things about the, and this is on the whole, but I think this is also playing itself in the healthcare space, mm-hmm. um, from the IT revolution is I think before we had a lack of data, and when you have a lack of data, getting access to new data is, is what's really helpful and data you don't have. But at some point there's a threshold where once you cross that threshold, it's no longer about like, oh, getting more data is better. It's much more about your ability to filter and understand what is noise and what is actually signal. Um, and, I, and I think it sounds like from what you're saying to me is that, let's say the health space has, has crossed that threshold but a lot of people within the ecosystem haven't realized it. So, so they're kind of still in the mindset of, of we just need more, we just need more, we just need more. Mm-hmm. And I think the doctors kind of, because they're just dealing with the day-to-day, they probably don't know how to express it, but they're kind of just like, no, no, we're already overwhelmed. We need help actually filtering and, and understanding what's signal and what's, what's, what's just noise. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, stole, stole, uh, stole the thoughts <laughs> from my mind. Yeah, actually, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant uh, thing that you you mentioned that you know some of the, some of the healthcare practitioners, stakeholder members, have not yet realized that we crossed this, you know, threshold or the red line, green line, how we might call it. I think it's it's now it's about you know changing the paradigm or changing the mindset first and foremost about the healthcare service provision as such. So it's not just you know oh it hurts here we cure here. But, you know, following this patient journey from preventative to, you know, to to monitoring and, uh, you know, assist in the quality of life or, you know, uh, value-based healthcare model, the, the also popular word now. So, you know, also the, the, there is a changes in the paradigm that uh, some, you know, some some processes will be reimbursed only when we see the result. So that there is, a, you know, a value, not just, you know, for the sake of manipulation, but for the sake of, you know, I don't know, losing weight as an example or, you know, having good quality of life or getting back to workplace, et cetera. And yeah, changing the mindset is it should be there because just gather data for the sake of gathering and, you know, for the sake of, I don't know, doing something, doing personalized advertising afterwards is cool, but but not enough. And coming back to to the doctors, yeah, it's a hard job. It's a tremendous fear, but it's a very hard job. Yeah, no, 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 no one told them otherwise, you know, during the first course. <laughs> I, I, I was teaching for the, you know, first course students for the medical uh, fa- faculty of medicine here and, you know, no one told them that it would be easy. But, but nevertheless, uh, it's uh, speaking of research and advancements, yeah tremendous advancements and we're not still there you know we will be opening up new data modalities new new treatment ways and etc etc later on and this is also how we can uh, but to put a little bit more salt on what you what you told not only about the healthcare practitioners also about patients because you should somehow through technologies for sure it assists you can, you should um, diversify the ability to participate in research, to have access to newer newest treatment or, or you know diagnostic solutions, as well as to to have you know diversity there, equality as well as ethics by design. We now changing the paradigm, you know, with the, with the, with the initiatives like in Europe as an example, European Health Data Space or Healthcare Data Act, where you know, finally put the patient in the center that will make a lot of, you know, chaotic paradigm shifts afterwards. So it's not only passive engagement like myself or yourself and our data is being, you know, used for the sake of something, but us being the center of the process, giving out data through digital tools, which will be easier, uh, but following the process and getting this, you know, carrots 
down the way uh, from the from this process of you know having access to newest treatments or you know understanding insights, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, yeah. Awesome. I, I think I think that's a good point to kind of jump into to a little sure. bit of, of reflection. Um, I, I think I just want to start off with, let's say, what are let's on say on two sides. On one side, what was the biggest kind of takeaways that you got from listening to the first three episodes? And then also, what were the things that, you know, let's say for an average person who is listening to this, what are the things you're like, oh, you should really focus on, to some extent, you know, in your opinion, what is some of the, what is some, some of the noise compared to, or what are some of the signals compared to some of the noise that you might have been guiding out of the first three episodes? Sure. I, I hope that, you know, uh, apart from understanding that healthcare is quite, uh, you know, um, challenging sphere to be working in i hope this is not the only lesson learned that you know the the listeners will get out of this for sure we should be there and one of the lessons learned or takeaways is uh, is about you know value-driven innovations that was covered i think by mary and also by both of the speakers davis as well during the third episode and they were mentioned about you know how to you know, sustain the and, and put the value, this, you know, granular uh, in, in the innovation. And I think in healthcare, it's it's very important, especially taking into account that innovation and this, like in the in life cycle in, in a startup, as an example, will be much longer than, you know, just generic B2C, um, I don't know, lifestyle or, you know, fintech, sorry about that. Well, you know, all the best of fintech, but still, it will be longer. It will be more painful. So value should be there on on top of that and this is one of the lessons learned i i i, I would like to emphasize there uh the second one is actually you know from davis perspective which is quite interesting because i don't think they're you know like they're classical health tech or digital health startup as such because if you look at the health tech or digital health profile there is like chief medical officer there is a certain therapeutic area they're acting they're stating oh there is a problem x and we bring a solution y <laughs> there and uh he Coming from his background of, you know, financial analyst and, you know, uh, basically economics, let me call it so, uh, I think it's quite interesting that he's tackling uh, the, the, the process challenges, how to make the process better. And especially and also including you know uh, increasing the ROI afterwards because still we do understand with all the respect healthcare is you know one of the social social parts of, of existing and living in society but still it's a business and there are tons of different business flows and I think it's quite interesting to listen to their to their um, talks and the lessons learned out of this you know phrase would be also that healthcare is uh, um, being challenging, it's also opened for you know different profiles of uh, of uh, entrepreneurs or people, and there are different things to tackle around this big bubble of healthcare. And Davis' example, I think, is also quite interesting. Um, another one is actually uh, when I was listening to Mary, you know, and 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 yourself, like uh, talking about you know how uh, how we and what we can measure to change, to affect, to help. I, you know, I, I recognize that, you know, there are so many like, you know, tech things and we always speaking about, you know, oh, wow, new neural network, new blockchain algorithm, this and that, you know, change the world. But it's actually might be a little bit more simple, simpler than, than this. And maybe we should actually start, you know, with this, as you mentioned, following this threshold, understanding what we already collect and how we can apply this to change the par paradigm and change this business flow of, of treatment monitoring or rehabilitation or diagnostics and apply the simple metrics there to uh, generate the value, to generate the, you know, some effects there, to change, to change the, the process. 
and for sure in parallel with that thinking about you know some big stuff like you know uh uh decentralizing <laughs> decentralizing or applying new ai models for doing this and that so i think the lessons learned there would be like at least for me once again to remember that it's not about tech and you know running with tech which a lot of companies still forget sometimes it's about you know, simpler things, but trying to apply them to the process, showing the value, showing the clinical value, which is of great uh, importance for the stakeholders. And, you know, build by building this island, then jumpstart uh, higher and higher towards the moon or, or the stars, as I might call it. So, yeah. So I think this this might be like, you know, the, the, the biggest things that I was thinking about through, throughout the whole podcast series um, that I was listening to. Awesome. No, I, I definitely agree with you on on a couple of those those things, mm -hmm. and and I, I think I conceptualize them a, a little bit differently. Um, uh -huh. And the last thing, I, I think it's just really good. And one of my thoughts is, you almost have two camps. You have a camp that's like, let's take the fruits that we have, yeah. and see what, what what remaining juice is there in them. And then there's sort of a camp of like, what are the new fruits that we can discover yeah. or, or whatnot. Um, and I think there's always sort of a, a nice balance between those sure. two things. But I but I I, I am kind of with you. I think especially the, let's say, more technical entrepreneurs, that the people are coming from either engineering or, or programming or, or these types of fields, even, even honestly, some of the ones that are coming from STEM, I think they're almost always thinking the second case first of, of let's mm -hmm. come up with these new things without really looking back at what, what, what exists there. And are there actually some really low tech things that we could do to solve problems instead of making it, because I think sometimes tech can make things actually more complex than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And if it's sort of the underlying systems don't really quite work, then you're kind of just, I don't know, duct taping whatever onto a, yeah. a broken. Yeah. So, so, so I think that that's one of those things that I, I find quite interesting. Um, and I, I like the other, th go ahead. Sorry. You, you want to jump in? I just want to comment on this. You know, I have a also great example from my company. So like we we've built one of the modules for dynamic e-consent, basically patients granting, uh, you know, access to data or participating in clinical research. And when we build it, we build it, you know, in a decentralized ledger technology, basically using blockchain. So blockchainizing this part without any crypto or mining, basically, you know, decentralizing the storage of consent document with exact hash and timestamps, et cetera, et cetera. But in the end of the day, the only ones who were loving this thing about the central were tech companies who wanted, you know, to have this in some initiatives. Because for simple, like for, for the doctor or, you know, investigator, uh, the only pain he would like to solve is, oh, when audit is coming, I have, you know, everything on the shelves. Like, I don't care if it's, I don't know, hundreds of people, you know, I don't know, printing this out and, and you know, saving it somewhere, storing it somewhere. I just need to have it at a certain point of time in one place, structured, that I don't have any questions and I don't have any, you know, burden from regulatory afterwards and this is an important thing to to remember the same you know happens with we, we did several you know um, uh, clinical studies where uh, decentralized clinical studies in, engaging patients through through uh, mobile apps or you know uh, the systems that were designed the only thing that uh, the investigators or the study sponsor cared about was the insight generated so with this in mind um, for sure, they wanted this to be ethics by design, you know, like everything is crystal clear, good, patients are happy, that's very, very important. But the way whether you do this, I don't know, by calling them, or AI is calling them, unfo unfortunately, or, you know, good thing to have is that doctors are not, you know, so amazed about wow, AI is calling someone, they need the result, patient is, is using the drugs as, pres as per prescribed. 
that's it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's one of those things, right? I think a lot of innovators often forget uh -huh. at, the, at the end of the day, no one really cares how the sausage is made. They just want the sausage, like, yeah. like whatever's going on kind of behind the scenes. And there's, let's say maybe some limitations of that. And maybe that's not as good, but I think overall is, I would assume basically, as long as you're, let's say doing it in an ethical way, you're not harming others, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As long as you're doing those types of things where there's, mm -hmm. where it's not, let's say a moral issue. Mm -hmm. I think most people don't really care. <laughs> They're just going, no, we just want the sausage. As long as you're doing it kind of morally, ethically, whatever. Sure. Do your yes. thing. We, we trust you to it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people forget that. They go, oh no, they care that it does this. It, it's done in this, this, that way. And no. Nah. <laughs> yeah. And actually you can use it for the sake of, you know, developing your product even more because like a lot of companies that I have encountered, especially in early stage in healthcare, it's, very, it's not so easy to, you know, to, to raise money because the, the life cycle is quite long. It's much easier to do this B, C, O, D round uh, financing or mezzanine financing. Uh, but whatever, basically you can manually do some of the processes, you know, Putting in front the ethics, the reputation, you know, the patient statistics, et cetera, et cetera. But then you, with this in mind, you can also validate the process, you know, not develop for a year or something. And then like, oh, wow, we should redesign the whole thing. It's a pain everywhere, you know, and uh, also engineers, uh, you know, do not like to throw away the products for sure. So it can be used for all of this, for the sake of all of the stakeholders there. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things that I, I think you're starting to see more and more of this movement of, you know, do the things that don't scale. And I think mm -hmm. this is kind of talking about that as like, oh, actually test it first in kind of the least scaly way possible. And then once you actually figure it out, then start start kind of doing the stuff that, that can start to scale it and mm -hmm. optimize it. And um, I think, I'm trying to remember, if, man, I think this was, was in one of the first three we talked about. I, I strongly believe for the most part, technology doesn't get you from zero to one, but it gets you from one to, one to five, one to 10, one to 15, it, it, it's, it's a scaler. Mm -hmm. That's how I believe it. It's sort of, it can't really solve the kind of really, really fundamental, for the most part, the really, really fundamental problem. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of, if you have kind of a basic kind of solution or process or whatever, it can take that and then do magical things with it. Mm -hmm. is, is it that's at least my sort of take. And I think in most scenarios, Definitely, you know, especially once again, coming back to what Mary mentioned, and I, I, Davis was also speaking about telco companies coming into healthcare space, such as also also Apple as an example here we were mentioning before. And I think one of the beauties that such, you know, companies and such solutions are giving to us is uh, ability to ability to scale and touch a broader amount of. of patients or study participants that were speaking about research. The, there were a couple of examples I would like to mention. One is the University of South California, one of the spin-offs uh, called Cardiogram. They were acquired by some company, but nevertheless, more than they achieve that, you can you have an app, you have any, any you know, um, um, photoplatismograph, which is basically a pulse sensor on top of your wristwatch. And uh, then you can, sh you, can uh, you collect data, you have insights, you know, on your demographic group, lifestyle, blah, blah, blah. And you can you can grant consent to share it with the researchers. So what they the, what they achieved is more than th uh, more than one third of a million people sharing real time cardio data, and for sure it's not you know ECG in a hospital, but nevertheless, cutting off the noise, we 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 will not reach such cohort of participants in any hospital in the world in the real time. It's not possible. And as the same example with aura rings and the wristwatches, uh, smartwatches was by uh, uh, Professor Topol uh, from, uh, there was Harvard, MIT, and basically the tech study. What they did, 
they uh, by collecting you know just real time data about changes in temperature you know and the quality of sleep they detected the the um, the risk factor for COVID uh, prevalence as an example which is you know superb so you don't need to wait until you know you call the ambulance and say you know what I'm coughing you know my lungs out so you have you know certain uh, stop beforehand you can tackle and this is something that everyday tech can bring us that we should integrate in, in the healthcare processes. Mm -hmm. well, I think that's one of the interesting things too, right? And I think, I think this is a really good, good thing that let's say tech is bringing into the healthcare system mm -hmm. is I think, right, either you can get, let's say, very, very precise tech. And if you mm -hmm. do, sorry, precise data. If you have mm -hmm. precise data, you don't necessarily need large numbers, right? And that's kind of, let's say, what we were doing before. But if you can have, let's say, good enough data, but like on proper scale, then, then that data is also equally valuable or, or you can do a lot with it. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be as top notch as you know, what you might get from a hospital. But at the same time, if you're getting it for half a million people, a million people, right, mm -hmm. you, you get kind of huge cohorts, then all of a sudden, like, and you could almost argue that I don't want to compare the two of which is better because you sort of they, they do some things that are slightly different. But but, right. but but it becomes a very strong, powerful tool that can be used. Right? And that's the sort of, you know, epidemiological studies that we've been doing for a while, but this is like a much easier way to do it. Sure. Also, population health, you know, like the strategy that the local NHS or CDC have. And we should, there we should change a little bit the paradigm that, you know, investing a certain amount of money will pay off from the, you know, quality of life perspective, taxes, or, you know, a, a early stage, early stage treatment. And we should not, we should not get to fight, you know, about precise tech versus, you know, broader availability tech, let me call it so, or bring in a little bit more noise because the use cases are, you know, are different. And there we should do, you know, SWOT analysis, pros and cons analysis, because no one can, I don't know, no one can bring to my house MRI today, but, you know, some of the things I can measure on my daily basis without, you know, no one investing. I just, I just have these devices around me. And, you know, with this in mind, it will be interesting to, to look at from this perspective as well. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Um, I think we're probably over time. Okay, I could be wrong about that. But no, no, this is super good. I, I want to touch on one thing you said, and I, I really like this, and I think this will be kind of the last sure. kind of main topic we'll touch on. I like sure. how you said that that you like listening to Davis of, of bringing the different perspective. And, uh -huh. I, and I think that's really, I always see for innovation in general, not just in the healthcare space, but when you bring kind of people who are trained in outside areas mm -hmm. and bringing them in to whatever whatever industry is, I think that's where a lot of magic happens. And I think in particular in the healthcare industry, let's say because the general public thought of it, let's say like yourself, you ended up, oh, I need to go to medical school for this. I, I, it's, it, they've only think of it from the large process. They mm -hmm. don't think about like, oh, I can get trained in something else and mm -hmm. actually provide a lot of value here. And, and honestly, to some extent, let's say because of how strong, generally speaking, the medical industry professionals are, are trained in sort of STEM and, and, and medicine and, and the like, they're missing out on some of these, let's say, programming skills, designing skills, business skills, yeah. and the industry really needs it. And then there's, let's say, not so many um, people who have sort of the, I, I, let's say, crossover bridge skills. Um, this is, mm -hmm. as, as a little tangent, uh, this is personally why I ended up getting my master's. I have a background in, in like toxicology, and then I, I went and got like a, essentially an M, kind of a hybrid MBA master's of science around the commercialization of science with so the bridge between the business and, and, and the health. Mm -hmm. and, and I just think that yeah, I just believe that's where the magic happens. And I think, I think in particular, um, healthcare would greatly benefit, for example, like UX people coming into it. Because I think a, a lot of the systems are, are, are not well user designed almost at all. Uh, UX, UI people, I think, mm -hmm. would greatly benefit. So I don't know, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe that's the suggestion. Uh, UX, UI people, like 
go into healthcare, there's probably a huge, huge need. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll probably do quite well if you, you go down that pathway. But, but yeah, no, I, I think that's, you touched upon that a little bit. Um, but yeah. It, this is what I tell to to the students I teach, you know, look at, look across the fence, how you can apply your, your, your skill set in other domains. And for the doctors or, you know, to, to be doctors in the future, it's not about becoming programmer, you know, or software engineer. It's about understanding that, oh, I have this problem. You know what? There are guys and actually maybe mobile app can solve it. Let me talk to these guys. I cannot code it myself, but there are guys who know how to do this and I have a problem. Let's talk. And actually, you know, changing this perspective and opening this, I don't know, closed environment of the hospital is of need. The last thing to, just to tell, like we, uh, a week before we closed in Children University Hospital, we closed the summer school. We were brought teenagers who redesigned through digital tools their own experience because beforehand there were only grown-ups were telling you know what is best like for the child to you know to to feel comfortable entertained or you know relaxed etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know reimagining this concept and putting you know those uh from a different perspective stating oh you know what it's not interesting for us to i don't know read journals as an example waiting in the line it's much interesting for us you know to i don't know do some stuff and they designed within five days they designed the product that they put in the hospital you know so i think this is something that we should emphasize this you know bringing competence and different eyesights towards uh changing the paradigm there yeah awesome i I think that's a really cool place to start Uh, any last thoughts from you any any final final statements you want to get out there no, I think I would just, you know, once again, just emphasize that let's try to look across, across the fence. So this is this is the thing. So how we can, you know, do this cross-disciplinary or, you know, interdisciplinary stuff. I think it's a very, very large importance. And once again, let's emphasize on being proactive in this dialogue. It's not about, you know, only healthcare professional who should act. Mm-hmm. It's about all of us uh, to be a part of this dialogue, because it's called, it, you know, two people speaking. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Emil, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. This has been super, super fantastic. Um, Yeah, again, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Alex. Yeah, have a nice day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the ESI What's Next podcast. ESI is a program aimed at fostering socially responsible, environmentally sustainable student innovation through education and new venture creation. We're grateful to the European Regional Development Fund, Printify, SCB Bank, and Remy for their support. Tune in next week to find out what's next in the world of student entrepreneurship.